This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the New Books Network. This is your um, podcast host, Shu Wan. Today, I'm very happy to invite Dr. Peng to join us to introduce the, um, the book, fantastic book, A Feminist Reading of China's Digital Public Sphere. So the first thing I want to do here today is I want to invite Dr. Peng to take a brief self-introduction. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Shu. And uh, this is really a great honor to meet everyone. I mean, virtually. Uh, I'm Altman Peng from uh, Warwick Applied Linguistics. I'm currently an assistant professor in international uh, intercultural communications and currently working at Warwick's uh, Applied Linguistics Department. And I previously lectured at in uh, Newcastle University, for example, uh, a few other universities in the UK, and did my PhD at Newcastle as well. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, so then let's turn to your book. So I, well, as I mentioned, the book of your t- the title of your book, a famous reading of Chinese digital public sphere, it includes the keyword feminist. So for this one, I'm interested in why you are interested in gender studies. Right. Well, thanks so much for asking this very important question. Actually, I have to say there is a bit of story behind that. Uh, when I did my PhD, my research wasn't really specifically about gender, but I indeed developed my interest during uh, my PhD study when I'm uh, start exposed. I basically, I'm exposed to feminist literature uh, through conversations with my friends, through my own research, and also, uh, and also during that time, it was uh, when the Me Too start gaining traction on social media, and that was also a moment make me realize how important gender inequalities uh, they are still relevant. How relevant they are still today, in particular, um, before that, as uh, cisgender men, I 
don't really have that kind of experience. I have to say that kind of uh, very gendered perspective to understand the society, to understand the gender dimension of the society. And then uh, after the Me Too movement, after I start having conversations with friends, uh, female friends about their experience, then I realized how um, sexual harassment there, uh, how pervasive it is in women's everyday life experience. And it was, I have to hold myself accountable as well. A lot of my past views on gender uh, today I find quite problematic. So in a lot of ways, doing research in feminism is also a way to hold myself accountable as a cisgender man who exper- whose experience is very much based on a certain male privilege, that kind of very deeply embedded in my everyday life that I even myself don't notice in the past. Uh, I hope this answers your question. Yeah, thank you so much for your answer. So then I want to continue to talk about your book. So for your book, I'm wondering, I want to invite you to take an overview of the digital culture in contemporary Chinese society, where both political censorship and the neoliberal capitalism matter in the shaping of Chinese internet users' communicative practices. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I have to say, in terms of the study of gender issues in China, um, there are uh, uh, very different social political environments exist out there in China, which is not completely uh, compatible to uh, the the so-called Western democracies. And in particular, indeed, we could see parallels in terms of the uh, rise of neoliberalism in a Chinese society. That is the way in which the government Change uh, changed the, uh, its governance strategy since the reform and opening up, and in this process, we indeed see some neoliberal norms or, um, or approaches to uh, economic governance, to social governance, being incorporated in uh, in the Chinese context. But then in China, we have a very different political system, the one-party rule. And that determines that uh, a lot of issues, structural issues behind the scenes are not just about the, the market itself, but about how the government exert its influence on the market and by extension society. Uh, and that's the case in gender issues as well, which reflects us um, uh, the structure, gender inequality, we can see indeed the marketization that allows uh, certain, for example, digital uh, influencers use uh, neoliberal style of feminist discourse to target women audience. And it has, uh, uh, has been widely received by uh, certain members of the female uh, of the of the public, in particular, among certain uh, women. But in the meantime, the more pressing issue is really how to address the more structural issues being entrenched in the political system. And we could see the government, in particular, in recent years, it has tightened its grip on. Uh, the civil society and feminism is actually being targeted in the process. Um, 
So we could see if we want to achieve gender equality in the Chinese context, uh, uh, we have to reform the political system, um, uh, which is entrenched to be preserved as a masculine terror. Uh, so. Um, I would say the Chinese uh, gender, gendered culture in the Chinese context it reflects a twofold uh, reshaping process by both the market economy, but more pressingly uh, and also importantly by the government, by the political system as well. So I hope so, that makes sense. Yeah, thanks so much for your answer. So for the next question, I want to invite you to discuss gendered digital public culture in China. Yeah, sure. So we could see in the Chinese context, as I mentioned, um, we could see the rise of a so-called neoliberal feminism uh, with certain Chinese characteristics uh, on the rise in uh, in Chinese society, especially on social media, uh, usually being propagated by uh, social media influencers and well received amongst their followers. Uh, but um, certain scholars, for example, uh, and um, I believe it's Angela Xiaowu and Dong Yige, wrote a very thought provoking piece for me. Uh, um, uh, discuss uh, gendered issues, and in particular, they noted that such neoliberal uh, feminist uh, feminist discourse or this kind of businesses, uh, even though they are still problematic in many ways, but it also reflects. Uh, it also disrupts the entrenched patriarchy uh, in Chinese society in the way. Uh, in which women navigate their everyday life experience. Of course, we still need to hold uh, those discourse accountable for its uh, certain paradoxically uh, patriarchal essence, but still its disruptive function is something we do need to recognize. And that's something probably in some of my early writings, I didn't pick that up. Okay, so that's also a bit of self-reflection. But then, more importantly, we could see a gender discourse in China often reflects as, uh, for example, the kind of the rise of misogyny, um, the kind of, uh, of masculinist discourse, which are pervasive in a lot of social media platforms, like uh, a lot of uh, platforms I research, Hupu, uh, which is uh, one of the most notorious in a lot of ways. Uh, it's a platform which uh, primarily uh, preserved as a sports fandom platform and uh, mainly used by male users and we could see it has been built has built as almost like a safe space for misogynists to express their toxic views uh, on China's gender issues. We have to bear in mind um, those misogynist discourse uh, in my assessment they also constitute a kind of dissent against the patriarchal Knowns in society, but is distorted in a lot of ways. It actually reflects uh, uh, the problematic or imbalanced power relations between women and men, and plays out in the uh, and intersects with 
um, other structural issues, which renders a lot of men in lower class, uh, with a lower class background or with uh, without sufficient economic resources, find themselves in even more. Uh, not necessarily even more vulnerable position, but indeed they are disadvantaged in the patriarchal system as well. And in this process, they project their critique against the patriarchal norms, but then direct that towards women instead uh, instead of the structural issues. So that, in a lot of ways, reflects their unreflective reflection on their own situation and the societal issues we have witnessed and experienced. Oh, thank you so much for your answer. For the next question, I wondering, I'm wondering how women focus Chinese digital uh, influencers influencer use sexual feminist discourse to dark Chinese women and how their prioritize creates a broad boundary between feminism and the sexual feminist patriarch sorry patriarchal values in Chinese digital cultures. Uh, well, uh, first, uh, we we can trace back to a Chinese experience. Uh, indeed, Chinese women are not educated to to be f- feminist or educated about gender politics by Western feminists. But indeed, uh, in many ways, we are influenced by a lot of Western feminist thinking, and that's also. Uh, the case being reflected in the way in which uh, the way in which gender politics that plays out in in the Chinese context, and uh, we could see uh, some of the digital influencers they draw on um, certain feminist ideas, the kind of so-called mainstream feminist ideas from the Western context and appropriate in a Chinese context to project their their voice. And in this process, we could see paralleling the rise of neoliberalism in the Western context. We could see such discourse which features and emphasize on women's self-actualization and usually through their gendered, um, the kind of uh, quote-unquote gendered uh, characteristics, taking a lean-in approach to uh, to navigate their experience in a patriarchal society. And in this process, um, this kind of discourse they often emphasize how women they manage, the, for example, their homework balance and how to cope with uh, romantic relationships. Basically, how to uh, tam- uh, how to train their husbands or their their boyfriend, or basically how to find the right partner for them. So this kind of discourse is quite pervasive on Chinese social uh, social media, which is well received amongst those members of the society who subscribe to a more neoliberal uh, worldview or this kind of uh, this kind of uh, phenomena, as we have observed, and indeed, this kind of uh, discourse, as I mentioned, it does have certain disruptive functions in the patriarchal system. But then, it actually overlooks the big picture, the structural issues embedded in Chinese society that is so entrenched that cannot be 
uh, that we cannot uh, address gender injustices without really uh, tackling those structural issues uh, in politics and in the economic structure. So that's why their discourse, even though it has a certain disruptive function, is still quite problematic in many ways. Okay, thank you so much. So for the next question, I want to invite you to talk about how the divided opinions on gender relations are shared by Chinese internet users of the platform Zhihu. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, that's also a key area of my research platform I uh, I try uh, worked on in many of my projects. And indeed, I observed certain very interesting differences comparing to uh, some other platforms I've worked on. Now, all platforms, they're quite unique in many ways. And Zhihu is one uh, of the interesting ones because originally it was established as a knowledge-sharing platform. And this invitation-based registration system determines that in the early year, the platform is mainly, mainly reserved for those uh, well-educated middle-class internet users. Even though after it abandoned uh, uh, those registration system, um, uh, the user demographies changed a bit, but some of the convention being, has been reserved on this platform. I show uh, manifest in gender politics as a lot of misogynist discourse. They don't present uh, in that kind of uh, present themselves as a kind of uh, open discrimination against women. Instead, use a lot of, for example, scientific rationalization uh, uh, using uh, so seemingly relevant scientific evidence uh, to to legitimize certain problematic worldview, but it disguised with that kind of uh, scientific veneer to make it. Uh, more convincing a lot of ways in social media communication. Uh, but the platform, uh, platform uh, I would say comparing to Hupu is more diverse, is slightly less problematic, but still that kind of uh, uh, discriminatory uh, commentaries are still widely observed on this platform. And it shows a tendency of intersecting with and nationalist politics, which is on the rise in Chinese society in the past decades as a result of the government's uh, propaganda campaign, I would say. Uh, so I hope this answers your question. Thank you so much. So for the following question, I want to invite you to talk about Chinese internet users' discursive engagement with women's participation in the business and the political sectors. Uh, well, yeah. Um, so indeed, uh, I also uh, conduct a few research about the gender stereotypes uh, on Chinese social media platforms, uh, and in particular on Zhihu. A lot of discussions we have observed uh, uh, assess uh, some of the uh, successful business women or uh, or politicians, female politicians on the platform. And we could see a lot of uh, discourse, indeed, they are gendered. They often 
portrays women in a very particular way. Those successful women, uh, they often marginalize them from their gendered characteristics to legitimize their uh, success in business or in politics. That plays out as uh, portraying themselves uh, them as uh, hypermasculine. That kind of uh, uh, that kind of more manly than men, and that uh, uh, that. Uh, intersects with that kind of stereotypes of leadership being a masculine concept. But in the meantime, we could see some of the discussions about women's success also allude to that kind of uh, very sexist view. They consider women not just as um, the kind of hyper-masculine leaders, but also as seductive mysteries, a kind of discourse that they reach their position because um, because they have sexual attraction or that kind of undertones, uh, uh, sex undertones, uh, which is uh, attractive to uh, male colleagues. And this leads uh, to their success or help them to achieve success. So basically, those successful women are either Hypermasculine portrayed as hy- either hypermasculine or uh, or uh, more seductive, more uh, feminine, and uh, sometimes it's also called the queen bee phenomenon. So uh, portray them as queen bee who are capable of manage their male uh, counterparts and using certain masculine masculinized leadership. Uh, abilities uh, to achieve success in a discipline or terrain which usually unchanged for men. Okay. Thank you so much for your answer again. So for the last question today, I want to invite you to talk about the implications of gender political ethics in China's digital public sphere in relationship in relation to the wider international community. Uh, Okay, okay. Can you repeat the question? Oh, I think yeah. I didn't last really question. Yeah. I'm sorry. Last question is that I want to invite you to talk about implications of gender politics ethics in China's digital public sphere in relation to the wider international community. All right. Yeah, I got it. Thanks so much for this very important question. And indeed, we have to say, um, first, very important uh, China as a rising uh, as a, a rising global power, uh, almost a superpower now. And indeed, uh, its social political chains, they are relevant to the wider society. Um, uh, Ali, uh, uh, at least, uh, Chinese population accounts for at least one seventh of the world population, isn't it? So, uh, women's emancipation in China it has implication for the wide world because the wider society we also have a responsibility for this group of the world population. But in the meantime, very important as a nation, China is also uh, exerting its international uh, its influence on the world stage. And in many ways, the world views being propagated, they also have implications for other parts of the world. We don't see a uh, uh, a lot of that kind of exchanges between China and the global north, indeed, because global north uh, is also slightly problematic because of the unchanged uh, hierarchy within 
the global international geopolitics where Western domination indeed they're still relevant. But China is also exerting its influence on a lot of third world countries we could see in uh, in the Middle East, in Africa. Uh, China is aggressively uh, advancing its uh, agenda in international geopolitics through its uh, uh, public diplomacy. And we could see in this process, uh, this uh, public di- displ- uh, diplomacy, uh, communication, external communications, that also reshapes the way in which um, uh, other parts of the world see China, and in particular see what's normal, uh, uh, what's perceived as normal in the society. So that has implications for those audience to understand uh, uh, understand social issues. Uh, that kind of uh, which are relatable to them. And indeed, gender is considered one of the relevant as well. So I will say uh, on this front, uh, China's uh, social worldview, it has such implications. And also we are living in uh, an interconnected world these days. The global mobility is possible. And indeed, we have seen a lot of uh, international migrants living in China and also Chinese migrants living in other parts of the world. And uh, the uh, symbolic exchange, idea exchange, are also playing out at this level indeed. And we could see um, uh, Chinese migrants in particular, they move abroad and they are also reshaping the demographies of other nations. And in this process, what ideas they bring to a local community over there also matters to the future trajectory of the uh, of the local community indeed. So uh, that's also why it's important to hold uh, those problematic misogynist views accountable uh, in, uh, against this backdrop. So I hope this answers your question. Thank you so much. So I'm at the end of our episode today, I want to directly talk to our audience. So everybody listening to this podcast, I, as a historian, as a gender historian in China, I highly recommend you come, if you, I mean, if you are interested of uh, taking interest in either uh, gender issue of feminism in China, or you're just interested in gender uh, theory of feminism or uh, digital culture in general sense, Anyway, I highly recommend that you consider buy a copy of Dr. Peng's fantastic <laughs> famous of reading of China's digital public sphere. It is one of the best book about this research topic, this, this research subject. So please remember the title. I want to repeat the title of this fantastic book, A Famous Reading of China's Digital Public Sphere, the fantastic book. So thank you so much for listening to our podcast episode today. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Shu, and uh, thanks so much for having me.